SMB Wisdom acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands upon which we have recorded this podcast today. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to the SMB Wisdom podcast, coming to you from the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people. My name is Alice Rue and I'm a partner at SMB Advisory, the proud sponsors of this podcast. The SMB Wisdom podcast is a forum to provide value tips for business owners from an extended network of experts on their topics of expertise. I'm so very blessed to have an amazing network of people who are fabulous at what they do. They might be accountants, lawyers, business owners, or any number of individuals that day in, day out, deal with the issues and problems that can plague small and medium business owners and come up with solutions, outcomes, and results to assist. It's now my mission to bring some of this knowledge to small and medium business owners to assist them in making their good businesses great and their great businesses fabulous. Now on with today's episode. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the SMB Wisdom Podcast, a forum to provide valued tips for business owners from an extended network of experts on their topics of expertise. My name's Alice Rue and I'm a partner at SMB Advisory and the host of this amazing podcast. Today, I'll be talking to Ali Erskine from Harwood Andrews. Ali has in excess of 14 years post-qualification experience with significant experience, particularly relating to terminal and non-terminal insolvency, securities and priorities of security reviews and enforcements. Ali provides technical and strategic advice to clients, including insolvency practitioners, company officers, publicly listed and private companies, banks, creditors, high net worth individuals and government organisations. And Ali also has specific experience in relation to corporate and personal insolvency, corporate strategy, including restructuring, refinance and debt consolidation, shareholder oppression and just an equitable windings up, disputes relating to trustees, including insolvency trustees and rights of indemnity, um, securities enforcements and priorities, contract and commercial disputes, corporate governance, risk management and dispute resolution, complex and multi-party litigation, property and leasing disputes. Ali, is there anything you don't do? I know, what a mouthful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Ali, for being Not a guest on the, No, thank you for being a guest on the SMB Wisdom podcast. Thank you, Alice. <laughs> um, Ali, can we start off today by finding out the traditional land that you're coming from? Yes, I am located on Wadarong land today. Excellent, and that's in Geelong, right? Yeah, that's right. The, the sort of the region is Geelong and the Bellarine, is my understanding. Lovely. Oh, fabulous! That's excellent. And we've heard part of your bio. If that's only part, then we're in trouble. Um, But did you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, what your elevator pitch is? Yeah, sure. Apart from all of like listing basically (laughs) every legal discipline (laughs) um, in my bio, we're sort of, we're focused um, on trying to work with key stakeholders and our clients. And um, whilst sort of I sit, I do sit in the dispute resolution and litigation team, we're very keen to see clients early and to be involved in sort of, you know, the the romantic transactional stage so that we can manage risk because that's the key to avoiding a dispute and avoiding a costly litigation sometimes be helped but it's um it's managing the risk at the outset i think is is really the key is the elevator pitch such important points to note like such important advice and we'll talk to you today ali i think about structures through which businesses might be operating and some tips and tricks in relation to those structures but before we start i'll just um, preface our discussion by noting that this is a general chat 
on various issues, none of which are specific in nature, and that if listeners have any specific issues they'd like addressed, they should seek their own legal advice in that regard. But, Ali, can I just go back to what you were talking about? It's interesting, isn't it, the, I think, um, I don't know, the comparison between entering into business and entering into, as you sort of talk about the romantic nature of those starts, those transactional um, issues. But it's not that different, is it? When you actually think about putting things up front, putting it all down properly and trying to, I guess, alleviate issues that come later on if there is a dispute. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's all well and good when things are, are going well and the parties are, you know, embarking on a joint venture or there's a new business opportunity to sort of all of the issues relating to dispute resolution fall by the wayside. But it's just so important to turn your mind to those facts at the outset to try and avoid a contested dispute later on. It's very clear cut and easy if there's a proper process that's been contemplated. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we might kick off today by talking about the different structures that business owners might use um, and in particular the reasons they might want to use certain structures in different instances. And, you know, the way that we look at it, you have companies, which I think are one of the, the most common things that we deal with, but even those companies can take on different um, roles in the structure, really, can't yeah. they? We've got companies, we've got partnerships, we've got sole traders, but trusts. Trusts yeah. can be relationships and entities that people find a little bit confusing, um, but also can relate back to all of those other entities. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We see so many... Um, accountants typically and businesses being run through what we'd call like a trading trust mm. and um, effectively they like trusts are a useful structure to be involved in because there's a raft of benefits like there's tax minimization benefits there's asset protection benefits but a trust itself is not a legal entity so mm. people need to be mindful when they're entering into a business structure that's being run via a trading trust um, they need to be aware of the distinction between the trust and the company structure, mm. what the relationship is for the corporate, if there's a corporate or individuals acting as trustee, the duties mm. that they hold with to their beneficiaries in the structure. And often we see people placed into these structures who aren't aware of the fiduciary nature and the relationship of the trustee and mm. even whose property, who does it belong to? And it's actually not the trustee's property, it's the trustee as the fiduciary holding that property for the benefit of others. That is a really key um, distinction that often is overlooked when people go into these structures. And when you think about it, the trustee, like well, we've got some key things, right? We've got the trustee, we've actually got the beneficiaries, we've got the appointee and the settler. They're always the four that I sort of think of when I'm thinking about discretionary trusts anyway. But the trustee can sometimes be, as you said, a corporate entity or an individual, but it can be someone who's been put in as part of the structuring that may not necessarily be the guiding mind behind the structure. And things can get very difficult when that's the case, isn't it? it using that trustee as a sort of, I don't know, protection mechanism as itself. 
Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes people act in dual capacity. So you might find mm -hmm. that you've got an individual or a company that's acting as a corporate trustee and then also acting in its own right. Sometimes mm -hmm. what happens is that there's been companies that have been traditionally trading the business and then they look to sort of roll into this trust structure. And so this real blurring of lines as to in what capacity the company is acting. Is it, you know, is it engaging in this contract um, in its own capacity or is it engaged in its capacity as trustee for the trust and where's the mm. business being operated? Is the whole business in the trust or is part of the business still sitting in the company structure pre sort of roll into the trust? So there's a care needs to really be taken at the outset if we're using a structure like this to properly maximise the benefit of the tax minimisation and also the asset protection because mm. it can very quickly come unstuck, particularly in instances of dispute. And those rolling sort of situations, they can be quite problematic, can't they, in terms of what has transferred and what hasn't and having a lot of sort of I's dotted and T's crossed um, with particular. Would you then recommend that actual contracts or, you know, sale contracts are drawn up or there's how would we normally look at that in terms yeah. of... Seeking yes. that transfer across. Yeah, absolutely. There should be clear contracts drawn up. There should be provision in, if there's already been a shareholders agreement in relation to the way that the company has been run, yeah. there should absolutely be clear parameters put into a trust deed if that's the intention that the business move into the trust. If there's going to be separate trusts set up to do different things, if the business is quite sophisticated, then there needs to be I've seen partnerships of trusts, which is in effect like an anomaly because it's mm. a trust is an illegal entity that can enter into a partnership with another trust. Mm, it's a partnership right. of the corporate trustees in relation to their obligations in their capacity as trustee mm. and the duties that they have to their beneficiaries to hold, you know, the assets and the property and the cash for the benefit of those beneficiaries. So documenting is key. If everything is documented properly from the outset, it definitely minimises dispute. <laughs> and, oh, look, know, I can it, imagine. Yeah, and just sort of, and turning your mind to, if you're acting in your capacity as director of a corporate trustee, making sure that when you're entering into, for example, trade contracts and supply agreements and things like that, that you're properly noting the capacity in which you're exercising the power so that mm. there can be no argument that this is an asset that falls outside of the trust structure if that's the intention. Now, is there an easy way to look at that? So in terms of if you've got a corporate structure and you do have a company that potentially has operated previously in its own capacity and may still do so to a certain extent, but then starts trading a specific part of the business or all of the business through a trust, um, when looking at that and looking at those transfers and having the contracts in place, the ABN can be something, can't it, that's quite um, a good differentiator in between making sure that it is, because it sometimes can be a lot to put in, you know, ABC Proprietary Limited as trustee of the XYZ discretionary yeah. trust or whatever it is, but making sure that certain things like the ABN are correct because the company should have a separate, well, the trustee of the trust should have an ABN and the company yeah. would have a separate ABN is my understanding. Yeah, anyway. agree. And making Absolutely. sure those things are all in line because, you know, if you're just running through the same zero or running through, you know, the same accounting program and those things get sort of muddied Overlooked. up, 
Yeah. Yeah. It can be really quite devastating, can't it? For the yeah, structure? absolutely. And one area that we see um, disputes arise is in relation to sort of taking security and people incorrectly registering security against an ACN as opposed to an ABN or mm. vice versa. So as the belts and braces approach now, people, most people register against the ACN of the company and also the ABN of the trust. Um, but absolutely care needs to be taken in relation to what company identifier or ABN number is being used in different mm. capacities. Yeah, absolutely. So if we take that back, obviously, well, not obviously, but usually it's a case that, you know, a business might start off as a sole trader or a partnership or even in a small PTYLTD company and it grows a little bit and there's reasons and, and generally that's got to do with tax, sometimes asset protection that accountants will then sort of recommend that it gets put into a structure. At that point in time, what do business owners need to sort of be a little bit aware of in terms of, well, what's the difference trading, you know, from a, um, say a company into having that company as a trustee of a trust? You mean like, what do you, what do you mean? Sort of, <laughs> well, it's just sort of things that they need to think of. So in terms of, you know, your fiduciaries in your oh. company is to your your shareholders and then creditors if it's insolvent. Is that right? But yeah, in the yeah. trust situation, it's to the beneficiaries. So normally in a company structure, um, the directors owe duties of, to the company and to each other, and they have to be mindful of um, the rights and interests of the shareholders. And then when approaching insolvency, um, that duty extends to the rights and interests of their creditors. But in a trust structure, the corporate trustee also has those, if it's a corporate trustee or if it's an individual, obviously it differs. But if we're talking about a corporate trustee, a trading trust, it not only owes duties to the shareholders, but they also have to be mindful of the interests of the beneficiaries. Mm. And this is incredibly important, including in like, in particular in relation to oppression regime. And in Victoria, unlike other jurisdictions, the oppression regime actually that's provided for in the Corporations Act actually extends to beneficiaries of trusts in circumstances where there's a corporate trustee. So mm. that's critical to be mindful of the extension of the obligations, particularly the fiduciary mm. obligations dealing with the property. And because it is quite a serious, you know, role to take that of the trustee. You're basically acting, you know, on somebody else's behalf with somebody else's assets yeah. and you need to keep that in mind. And what you're saying is there's rights, um, you know, and abilities for those beneficiaries to actually, um, I guess, question and hold accountable the trustee for their actions in yeah. relation to that trust property. Yeah, and I think it's so important to properly understand the structure because mm -hmm. often, particularly in small to um, medium-sized businesses, you'll have a director of a corporate trustee who's also personally or via some other interest a beneficiary. So there can mm -hmm. be this like conflating of roles really easily, but from a legal perspective, there is the highest level of um, obligation as a fiduciary and you really in where the parties often fall into dispute like if there's a relationship breakdown or you know there's sort of a business an exit or a strategy mm -hmm. that's not contemplated at the start that needs to happen that all of these the way that the business has just been being run it actually gets paired right back and you look at the precise legal structure and people can come undone if they haven't been adhering to their obligations and their duties or they're, or they're not properly aware of their obligations and duties mm. as how the, how the trust needs to be administered. 
Yeah. And a very common trust structure is obviously the family trust because there's there's tax, you know, benefits that can come from that. We know the family trust is a form of discretionary trust, but especially when you actually look down. So if there's sort of a business that has been traded through a trust for some time and say, you know, the parents started the business and, you know, they, they've traded that and then there's the siblings or the offspring by, um, by necessity, generally beneficiaries as well. By the time there's sort of a handover of the business and sometimes there can be some, you know, interesting discussions had about if it's handed down to certain, you know, children or um, their siblings or there might be, again, spouses involved in that. At that point in time, it's really interesting, again, to make sure that all of the ducks are in a row because those other siblings are by nature of a family trust beneficiaries as well. And yep. so not only does the person, and I'm being very simplistic here, but say that, um, you know, mum and dad are there, there's maybe three children and one of the children, you know, has been coming up and working through the, the business. So they get the business, they take, you know, um, own, ownership and running of the business and wanting to do things the way that they want to do it. They still need to be accountable to their siblings as beneficiaries, yeah. as well as, you know, to their commercial fiduciary um, as the business owner or through the company. And I think that can cause some really messy um, discussions yeah, from time absolutely. to time. And there's actually been a recent um, decision handed down where the courts have said trustee, particularly trustees of discretionary trust, do not have unlimited authority. They actually mm. have to have regard to the interests of their beneficiaries when exercising their discretion. So, you know, if you're talking about a, a family trust structure, and this is sort of even more reason to regularly review your structuring and make mm. sure that your documents are in order and provide for actually the intention of the parties. Because if you've got an, a number of beneficiaries, you know, one or so, one or more of them may, may be sort of estranged or removed from the running of the business, if that's the case if that's what this trust is is operating to do but the, there's a line of authority now that stands for that the actual discretionary trust the trustee needs to have a like has a positive obligation to have regard to all of the named beneficiaries mm. not just the ones who are contributing to the like to the value increasing asset pool of the trust and the business yeah. so very important, very important it to is, understand. Absolutely. It causes more duties, doesn't it? And sort of really a lot more accountability to that trustee yeah. entity as to how it deals. And I guess um, we talk about documents and we talk about, you know, sort of all of the processes involved, but the trust deed is really the Bible, isn't it? When we're looking yeah, at any particular right. trust, the trust deed is the Bible as to what can and can't be done. And it's important um, at the outset, Ali, isn't it, to make sure that that actually does convey the intentions of what's going to happen within the trust. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so often we see, um, you know, trading trusts um, where there's no provision for dispute resolution in the trust deed or there's mm. no mechanism for a buyback of, you know, units um, from an in, on an exiting party. So I've actually got, we see regularly instances where parties fall into dispute and we look to invoke the rate, the Corporations Act oppression regime for the purpose mm. of trying to engineer a buyout because yeah. the courts have been very clear in saying, you know, the private arrangements that when sort of negotiated at the outset stand, parties haven't contemplated a buyout mechanism in their contractual relationship, approach the court and force somebody to sell their interests in a trust. Trust. So it's really important to turn your mind to these types of issues at the outset and provide mm. a mechanism 
for a buyback upon the happening of certain events. Um, otherwise, you might find that the only remedy that's available to you is to is to invoke the oppression regime and seek to have the court's assistance wow. by that mechanism. And that's really full on because I was going to say to you, especially um, I can imagine that would especially be, um, you know, sort of appropriate when you're, you have beneficiaries or other people involved that aren't family members. But quite frankly, it probably is more so when you do because there are a lot of instances where you do want to buy out other family members um, to make sure that you have, you know, you, you can have focus within that trust as well. So I, I, I take that back and I think that it's a, um, a regime that you need to have spelt out irrespective of who is involved. Yeah, agree entirely. Like by way of example, we have a previous client who had entered into a business relationship on the recommendation of her accountant where a trust structure was set up. Two key employees were gifted units in the fixed trust as opposed to being employees on a wage so they would receive a distribution from the beneficiary she was also in her personal capacity a, a beneficiary as well the relationship broke down the two employees ultimately exited the business but were still unit holders of the trust no longer providing any services or benefit to the business that was being run by the trust but the documents there was no mechanism to buy out the employee the former employees who were unit holders I'm just calling them employees for convenience refused to sell their interest and instead um, explored outside employment and sat back yeah. and still received a fixed dividend. And the client continued to work in the business and built the business up to a, to the extent where it was very valuable and then got hit with an oppression proceeding from these exited employees who were still unit holders under the Victorian regime. Um, so it's just, it, you know, this whole dispute was very unsatisfactory and, you know, unfortunate for the client who had contributed significantly mm. and actually on her own exertion had built up the business to the value that it was to mm. then effectively give a windfall gain. And it, it looks like a windfall gain, but that was the legal entitlement and the bargain yeah. that was negotiated at the outside, at the outset, without any mm. regard for, you know, what might happen if the parties fell into dispute. So... It's just extraordinary, isn't it, to think that these things can happen after so long and have such, um, you know, huge implications for different people, yeah. especially when you're starting off with a, a smaller business and it gets built into something significant and, yeah. you know, that the who thinks they're the business owner really isn't the only one um, yeah, that can put absolutely. their hand out at the end of the day. Wow. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I think, I think with, that, with that example, there was just not a proper understanding of the difference between the trust and the company structure at the outset. And they didn't really understand the, the structure that they were put into and what it might look like or didn't, didn't turn their mind mm. to the possible risks associated with, you know, the, a relationship breakdown, which ultimately eventuated. Now, we all love accountants. And I think accountants do a great thing in terms of helping people get their structures in place. And I think a lot of the time the accountants do explain what those structures mean. But it's important as well, isn't it, to sort of take legal advice in these trusts matters, especially when you're sort of looking at the documents at the outset. Sort of having a trustee that's sort of just printed out from a template um, often doesn't include a lot of the things or the same things that you would get if you get a trustee that is actually drawn up. Um, through, a, through a law firm and a few things that have, as you said, like those, um, you know, abilities to sort of 
um, buyout and, and different mechanisms throughout. So there is obviously um, <clears throat> horses for courses, but if you're trading a trust, it's not merely yeah. holding an asset. There's a lot more that goes into that, isn't there, than probably an off-the-shelf deed? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a number of sort of the off the shelf deeds at the moment that are fairly generic, but not always fit for purpose. Mm. So obviously, I mean, the advice is to surround yourself in your structure with good quality, trusted professional mm. advisors absolutely. and, you know, have, an, have a relationship with both an accountant and a lawyer. A, a trust document at the end of the day is a legal document. And um, accountants are very good at, you know, asset protection and tax minimisation and a number of other things. But it doesn't hurt to have um, some legal advice just and particularly to manage risk as, you know, mm. as, you, as you start to trade. And, and to then obviously also to continually and regularly review your structure and make sure that it remains fit for purpose, mm. I think would be key advice. How often do you think people should review their structure, Ellie? I'd say, you know, it would be good to turn your mind to your structure at least once a year and just make mm. sure potentially at the end of the financial year when you're preparing your um, statements just to make sure the structure is still achieving the objective. Um, mm. And as the business grows, you know, if, then that's obviously also an opportune time to like to review things to make sure that mm. you've got the correct um, documents and agreements in place. But it's something that needs to be continually reviewed. Mm. And you were saying earlier about, um, you know, obviously when we look at companies, we look at the Corporations Act and that's legislation that is Commonwealth legislation. So it deals with, you know, uh, companies irrespective of where they are. And um, I must admit it's probably changed a little bit over the last three years with a lot of the border closures. But generally speaking, Australia, we think of ourselves as one, you know, big sort of group of people, big group of businesses that operate cross-border and, and um, you know, interchangeably within the states that we're in. But trust law is different, isn't it? If you Actually, the states have separate um, trust yeah. law. So it's important when you're getting the deeds drawn up or different things happening that you're actually understanding where your trust is based. Yeah, absolutely. And like like we t like we touched on earlier, there's a tension at the moment, particularly between Victoria and New South Wales, about whether or not mm. the um, Corporations Act oppression regime, which is set out in sections 232 and 233 of the Corps Act, actually applies to unit trusts. And in Victoria, the position is is really that it squarely does. That regime mm. can be invoked. But in New South Wales, the position remains trust legislation governs the operation of trading trusts and the oppression regime regime doesn't apply. So very important to have regard to the state-based um, legislation in relation to your trust. Absolutely. All right, that's all been really valuable. We'll take a quick break now and then we'll come back to have a talk about top tips and where people can go for advice. SMB Wisdom is proudly sponsored by SMB Advisory. SMB Advisory is a specialist firm of chartered accountants dedicated to providing specialist insolvency services to financiers, advisors, directors and individuals. The team at SMB Advisory are a safe set of hands to talk through your options when things get tough or when you find yourself in a tricky business situation and you're not sure what's next. Call the team on 1800 762 238 or send a message through the website www.smbadvisory.com.au to talk through the next steps in your business journey. All right, welcome back. We're back with Ali Erskine from Harwood Andrews and today we're talking about trust structures and in particular things that we need to look out for uh, in trading trusts, I think, Ali. So um, 
talk to me about top tips that you might have for business owners um, when looking at understanding their structures, especially when they are, you know, trading through a trading trust. Yeah, probably comes as no surprise, Alice, but (laughs) seek proper professional advice and make sure that you're cognizant of all of your obligations in whatever capacity you're sitting in part of the structure. If particularly if you're um, the trustee and if you're or if you're a director personally or if you're the director of the mm-hmm. corporate trustee and understanding what your obligations are as separate and distinct to that if you're also um, a beneficiary in whatever capacity or actually have an interest in a corporate beneficiary so just really getting some good clear advice at the outset that properly sets you up to make sure that you minimize any risk or any dispute down the track understanding what hat you wear i often find it yeah. interesting and obviously um you know when we're recording this it's the week after the the queen's just passed but you know they've often said about her she always knew when she was making a decision as a queen or that she was making a decision as a grandmother and sometimes sort of you know made very different decisions depending on what hat she was wearing and i think that's sometimes good advice for people when they're acting in the capacity of trustees of a trust or using the corporate entity it's like well make sure you know what hat you're wearing first and then make the decision as opposed to trying to make a decision and, and sort of scraping it all up later. Absolutely. Very apt advice. Know your hat. <laughs> know your hat. I agree. Um, and where can business owners go for advice to maybe have their structures audited um, or review their trustees? I'm assuming they can come and see you. Absolutely. We have um, front-end transactional lawyers here who can assist with people setting up different types of um, business structures or reviewing structures. Accountants are often a, you know, the f- a first port of call. So having a good relationship with your account, accountant will then be able to in- put you in touch with the right person um, if there's some legal issues that need to also be um, resolved. So, yep, accountant and lawyer. I think that's a really fitting plan. And we have, um, you know, in Australia, we actually go to our accountants. They are, as business owners, they are generally our sort of most trusted advisor that we see sort of quite regularly. But in my experience, where you've got um, accountants that have great legal relationships with um, legal professionals um, as well, that's where the, the synergy really happens because you can get a beautiful lot of advice from people who work together, be able to get up sort of all-encompassing view of what's going yeah, on so I agree. Really agree more and I think there's um, something to be said having sort of two different firms a lot of people think well I've got you know my accountant can sort of do it all but it doesn't hurt to have somebody a lawyer or somebody else sort of have with an objective hat on have a look at the structure and potentially critique it just to make sure that you're in the right position and that's the right structure for you they might bring a different perspective Absolutely. And I think that's really valuable. We were talking recently um, to another guest and we were talking about, you know, sometimes a lot of these things don't get picked up until people change accountants. And if they'd sort of had a third, you know, someone have a separate eye on it earlier, um, you know, there might have been questions raised. And it's not that one accountant does things wrong and another one does it right. People do things differently and for very valid and very different reasons. But unless you understand why, um, it's being done in a particular way, sometimes it's a little bit hard to to keep on track and understand, you know, what you need to do in your structure yeah. to make sure that your uh, intentions are uh, or the intentions of your accountant are kept in that regard. 
Yeah, and it's really difficult to sort of like devote the energy and turn your mind to this when all you want to do is um, just get on with running your business and being profitable and making money and everything else that happens in life. But it is, it's such a critical part and it will hopefully avoid you, um, you know, God forbid, ending up in a dispute and having to see a, an insolvency or a litigation lawyer down the track if you can get all of this right at the outset. Look, absolutely. Finally, Ali, what's the best piece of business wisdom that anybody's ever given you? I think it's probably a bit cliche, but um, and consistent with what we've been discussing today, Alice, it's just make sure that you have a proper, you find yourself a good mentor or, or a trusted advisor and somebody, somebody that um, is invested in your business development or your personal development and that you can learn from. I've found in my own experience, people are very generous with their time. And that's been that's been the biggest um, learning curve and the most valuable learning curve for me is making sure that I have pro appropriate mentors in place. So that would Absolutely. be my tip. I think that's an excellent tip and one I think it doesn't matter what business you're in or what you do, I think that's one that, you know, everybody can learn from. So thank you so much, Ali, for your time today. Your insight's yeah. been really valuable and I think there's something in there for all of us. Um, look, before we go, can you let us know where we can find you if listeners want any further information or want to connect? Yeah, sure. On Online, my bio link on the Harwood Andrews website, I work across the Two offices in Geelong and Melbourne so mm -hmm. always available to catch up via phone or in person now that you know COVID permitting um, absolutely yeah contact details are all set out online fabulous and we'll have Ali's full bio and details of how to contact her in the notes and also on our web page thank you again everyone who's listened in today please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of the fabulous episodes we have coming up please also give us a rating so that others can find out about us too Join us again for our next episode of SMB Wisdom. And in the meantime, be wise in business. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, Alice.